This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Brinefield Services Company, Zolandez. Check them out at zolandez.com. That's Z-E-L-A-N-D-E-Z dot com. Hi, it's Joe Lowry. Welcome to another episode of the Global Lithium Podcast. Today is episode 172. My guests are the newest power players in mining commentary from down under. The gentleman from the Money of Mine Podcast, Jonas, Travis, and the big guy, Maddie. Unlike most of my podcast guests. I have only known this group for a little less than two months. I met them in Perth on my last visit. They invited me to be on their new podcast YouTube channel. I uh, listened to a couple before agreeing to do it and really have come to respect what they're trying to do. They're very smart. They're funny and certainly have complementary skill sets. I guess that's why it's so effective. In any case, I don't believe these gentlemen need an introduction in Australia. I guess I would estimate that 95% of my listeners in Australia are familiar with these three. Hopefully, this episode introduces a more global audience the po- my podcast is up to 181 countries where I've had downloads, and the real objective here is to present you with a interesting episode, but I have also taken it upon myself to try to support these guys in any way I can. Likely, they don't need my help, but uh, I always like to try to support smart young people. Speaking of support, the podcast has... A new sponsor, in addition to Zalandez, who will continue to sponsor, I'd like to welcome Mississippi Lime, who is going to see if sponsoring the podcast has a positive impact on their business. So if you are in the market for Lime or a broader calcium portfolio of products, contact Mississippi Lime and you'll hear a spot from them a little later on. So welcome Mississippi Lime. And without further ado, the boys from the Money of Mine podcast. Maddie, Travis, and Jonas, don't call me JD. (laughs) Welcome (laughs) to the Global Lithium podcast. Thank you very much. Thanks for having us, Joe. Mate, this is, um, as as I said in the in our pre-chat, based on the MDs and the the illustrious uh, talent you've had on your podcast, or um, I don't know if I'm concerned that you're uh, either ran out of guests or scraping the bottom of the bar- bottom of the barrel. But we are both we're all very flattered, and I don't even feel worthy to be on here. So um, I'm nervous, mate. This I'm, is our, I'm our first shitting, time as shitting bricks as guests. Normally we're in your seat, Joe, doing the interviewing, and now we're on the receiving end. So um, you're gonna have to dish us with a bit of our own medicine today. You will have no problem with me. <laughs> Very gentle. I could harken back to a line that I think Maddie had in a recent one of your episodes, but I won't go there because uh, my demographic. I think I know exactly what you're what you're referencing there, Joe. <laughs> I'm um, I'm going to promise I'm not going to drop any bad words in this, Joe. Yeah, that is one thing I'm trying to mature in my podcast journey. So, and the North American audience won't um either understand or appreciate it so well they've I'm already go- they've already switched off because they can't understand you already <laughs> yeah yeah I'll say, we'll say we'll get some subtitles oh it's a podcast we can't we need a translated version <laughs> i'm pretty sure the koreans and i have a pretty big audience in korea i they must have a software app that translates it because i will talk to people and they i can barely understand them and i said how do you listen to the podcast you do it like on 0.25 or 
And and I'm not casting aspersions on my Korean fans. I just always find it interesting when uh, somebody who comes up and talks to you at a conference and is is really having trouble with English tells you how much they love the podcast. And it's like, I only do it in one language. So I'm not not sure. There must be, as high tech as Korea is, there must be uh, a software program that has me and I would like love to hear myself speak Korean because I only know how to say beer and thank you. Um, all right, guys, we start off with a backstory. You guys can do it in any order you want to, but tell us about your life journeys. Well, I'll I'll lead off and how we all I guess got together. So it's um I didn't know these two blokes from a bar of soap. Um I come from an underground mining background. I was a mining engineer and then went down and worked underground for seven years because my office decorum wasn't too standard. So I was better suited to the underground environment with all the um, all the bikies and people with full sleeve tats. So Too many uh, F-bombs in the office, mate. Yeah, yeah, I got too many written warnings. So, yeah. um, And then during my time underground, I actually started a podcast um, – I don't know why we thought we thought we'd all, always wanted to record the conversations at the pubs with all the all the old timers because they were all just absolute crack ups. I thought, oh geez, why don't I start a podcast? So I had an underground mining podcast called Life of Mine, and then was doing it for about four years, and then thought, geez, I'm sick of being away from my children and all the like doing fly in, fly out. I said, bugger it, I'm going to take this podcast full time. I don't know how, but I want to go full time, and I started. Started sort of getting into the stock market news and and you know covering the mining companies on the ASX and which I look looking back now I was absolutely talking out the back of my ass and had a, had a lot of help from people in the industry and I started doing like this daily mining news show and a lot of it was pretty I gravitated towards talking about the underground mining side of the the stock market and because that was my my niche uh expertise you'd say and in in the process of trying to do this full-time venture i got contacted by one travis ricciardo on linkedin and i was uh i was thinking what's this young bloke one he's bloody obviously trying to pinch something off me i need cash right now what's this guy gonna give me and i sort of bloody i think i'll and I, I think I blanked him for a, a month or so and didn't get in touch, which oh, um, he it's did about not. three months. Yeah, he didn't. He, <laughs> he kind of took offence to, but I've, I've I've pitched him on LinkedIn to be my business partner. I'm you know trying to pivot out of uh, investment banking into something a bit more sustainable at this point in time. And his buddy, you know, I'm like, I'm thinking in my head, geez, it'd be good to start a venture with this bloke, and uh, he just ghosted me for three months. Well, I think there was there was too many long words and um, big paragraphs about what he said. I think if he said, oh, I want to – how much for half your business, <laughs> I would have been like, oh, sweet. But I, uh, probably uh, – he was at, he's obviously at a different intellectual level to me. So, And um, we we ended up catching up the end of last year and he, you know, put the question to me, love what you're doing um, – can I get in on it? What's half your business worth? And I'm like, to myself, I'm like, oh, probably zero. But uh, <laughs> and then, and from that, we, you know, started chatting. And then he's like, I got this other guy as well, Jonas. He wasn't JD then. He wasn't JD till the first day we met. And he's like, this guy consumes that much financial media. And we, the three of us, started talking. We're like, okay. April 1st, 2023, that's when we're going to hit the go button. JD quit his job that week and moved back over to Perth. And I, I still think there was an element of, yeah, we want to do this uh, venture with this guy having a crack, but there was also an element of, I think this this guy's making a bit of a dickhead of himself <laughs> trying to cover all this finance without any finance experience, and I think we can – Help him. So there was an element of charity, I think, Joe. Yeah. And I can fill in some gaps there, Maddie. <laughs> One is um, your uh, Maddie's bloody um, not as complimentary of himself as he should be. There's a there's a lot of self deprecating humour in this, but he's the only underground miner on a jumbo that I know of that's bloody got a. He's a mining engineer. Normally go. Normally people um, 
don't pivot to wanting to be on a jumbo. And he got a bloody MBA and he started a podcast while he was working FIFO Underground, which is unheard of in the industry. That MBA was a waste of 50 grand. Well, you didn't rock up to class, but... No, nah, no. Nah. <laughs> and on top of that, um, uh, so JD and I both independently listen to Maddie's podcast. Um, you know, we, we kind of figured this out when JD and I would catch up and we'd just, start, just be talking about the mining industry, which we love. We both started our careers in at the same kind of uh, financial investment house here, based here in Perth. Um, and so we were kind of obs- a little bit obsessed with the space. We followed it. It was the thing that we, um, you know, our first career job was learning about it all. And there's a bit to learn. And when Maddie started his um, m- his podcast talking about the finance stuff, it was like we could observe that and be like, geez, when you mix Maddie with a little bit of finance now, it kind of just creates magic. And so I think there were enough signs to see that the recipe was there to kind of create really good content. Um, and, and thankfully, he was up for it and, and Jonas was up for it too. I was, th- I was thinking, yes, yeah, I can, these I can, guys I can, have saved me. <laughs> <laughs> I can add one, one funny story into that one. Trav and I were both living in Melbourne during 2022. And I remember bumping into Trav in a shot on, on Brunswick Street here in Melbourne. And, you know, within 30 seconds, we're talking about markets and everything that's going on. And one of us said, I think I said to to Trav, because I'd listened to the podcast that morning, and it was an interview that Maddie had done with um, uh, a couple of guys. They run a fund called Precision, who happened to be in an office a couple of meters away from us now. And I told Trav, I thought, you know, this is this is bloody good. You know, this is good stuff, this podcast. And we got so engaged in the conversation, talking about it, that Trav walked out of the store with three shirts in his hand that he hadn't even paid for, just out <laughs> on the street. So we That's- definitely got into it. And we've been kicking around business ideas for a while. And, you know, the stars sort of aligned, you know, by April 1st of this year. <laughs> so is, it, is the end of that story, he's a shoplifter or no. <laughs> he returned and paid? Investigations ongoing. You know, I did, I did return very nourished <laughs> and paid. Well, when I was in Melbourne, I guess you say Melbourne or something. I don't know how you pronounce that <laughs> properly. Uh, I'm even saying after, I'm even saying Thacker Pass now. Everyone's like Thacker <laughs> Pass over here. I've even taken on you uh, and Zelandis. I just want to hear Joe say Wildcat, and I'll be happy. <laughs> no, I am going to say it after, <laughs> after the master says Wildcat. Um, <laughs> I, I will follow suit. I did have a salient question there, but uh, we're going to have to quit uh, Something about digressing. Melbourne. Yeah, I, okay. So I'm in Melbourne, and I get invited over to Macquarie's office and talk to those guys for maybe an hour and a half. And they mention that I believe young Travis had been working there. Yeah, you probably met my two former bosses. <laughs> uh, shout out Russell Keating and Matt Miller. <laughs> Anyway, we won't we won't go into any more of what was said in that meeting, but oh, uh, please do. <laughs> well, that'll be in the after hours version of this episode. I yeah, probably said we're, we're so, so upset to lose that young prodigy, and he um, he speaks very thoughtful, intelligent things about the deals that we're advising on all the time. <laughs> so what what's the end game for you guys? You got a podcast now, but I think when you were talking this on the episode this morning, it was. Talking about building a media empire. <laughs> oh, I'm trying to con these blokes into getting it behind a paywall as soon as possible so I can feed the children. Uh, but that's that's the uh, – but it's actually do, doing what we do every day. Like it's, um, you know, it's a, it's a pretty solid effort to pump out – one episode a day with all the all the research, then the editing, and I've stupidly tried to up the ante for the intro quality, which I'm regretting now because it's bloody hard. But um, it's doing this Monday to Friday is actually a lot of bloody fun because we're in tune with the market. We're getting everyone's ringing us with a bit of word on the decline or inside or as as they like to say, as soon as a chat starts with off the record, I'm like, oh, we're in here, boys. How good's how good's this? But and it is actually so much fun what we're doing. And I could actually see it as as long as we can uh, convert it into this uh, so-called media empire, it's not a bad bloody day job at all, Joe. Especially uh 
talking to absolute legends of the industry like yourself um, that this <laughs> this podcast has given us the opportunity to do. So um, we we actually froth on it, actually really enjoy it. Yeah, end, end game for, um, for me. And we, we talked about this sort of stuff before we kicked things off, but it's building a business that, you know, you feel like is adding value to the industry you love and, um, you know, can – can build a sustainable, you know, income and hopefully be, um, you know, worth something um, that you're proud of and you look back on it at the bloody when you're old and be like, I built that. That's awesome. I have been critical of some other people that have tried to do what you're doing and I've been super impressed. Two months ago, I did not know who you guys were. Literally. I had never, I had never heard of you until the day I landed in Sydney and geez, hasn't I your life out. just changed for the better, Joe? I don't watch CNBC anymore. I just listen to your podcast when I'm walking the dog, and it's just uh, it's been life changing and mind altering. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I, and I think the big and the big thing is about, I guess we probably didn't go into what the podcast is and the brand because everything a lot of everything else out there is either paid for, like is investor relations content that's paid for by companies or it's a, a podcast that promotes their their own business or, you know, I guess a lot of the the incumbent media, whereas we are that – our biggest thing is our, our independence. We don't get paid by companies. It, it is our views. If you talk to us on the street, that is the person that is on the podcast. We don't put a – sort of a, a we don't put a new corporate uniform on to as soon as we go on camera could you so, imagine Matty in a corporate uniform i think he'd be allergic to it be like, i had a suit on at the I, conference the other day oh. i was getting a few compliments actually i won't lie <laughs> you're wearing in a corporate uniform though yeah. i mean that's the honest truth i mean this is i wear a i wear an icebreaker black merino <laughs> every I, day that um that independence was like which we you know, value that is like our number one business value is is the independence. It look it obviously puts a lot of constraints financially, like to to monetize. But as soon as we lose the faith of our audience and our brand credibility, you know that 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 puts a finite life on the business. If we start taking money off companies, but then people think we're just talking absolute promotional crap that we don't even believe in, we. It might only we might make money for two years, then it goes to nothing. This way, we believe that long term we can be a, you know a credible source of information in the industry that people will see as not the go to, the only only podcast they need to listen to to know what's happening in mining. So, if there's any competitors out there that want to take us on, bring it on. I reckon. I'm stupid enough to quit their jobs to do it. That's probably why. <laughs> It was interesting when I think Travis said on your last episode that you obviously didn't want to take money from the mining industry or it would just corrupt your brand. I would take it from but the you, industry, but yeah. If, if, you took it from adjacent spaces. Industry yeah. adjacent service providers. Yeah. And that's what I that's what I always said. When Zolanda's asked if they could sponsor the podcast, I had had lithium companies make me offers. They said, I can't have a lithium company sponsoring this <laughs> podcast. But Zolanda's made sense because they were just doing services. They were like, yeah. I call them the slumberger of lithium. Yeah. But uh, and, and I think they've embraced that now. But th that made perfect sense to me. I had ne I never intended to try to make a dime off a podcast. I just like doing podcasts. And I was at a different phase of life when I started doing this one. I admire what you're doing, but I really want to see how that media empire unfolds. And I want to hear Jonas say a few more words about how he got sucked into the vortex here. <laughs> so just rounding out on the, on the earlier story, obviously Trav got in touch and then like Maddie said, it only took me a couple of days to, to quit the job and bandy together. And I think we all, you know, add our own elements to the show. And then there was another comment that Maddie made, just before that I'd sort of underline if there's anyone out there who wants to come and take us on, they can come and bring it on. And I think that really speaks to the uh, the sort of determination and uh, drive that we have to make this work. You know, we've all we've all quit our jobs and 
we are super, super determined to do it. And like Trav said, do it in line with within our values, you know, do something that we're super, super proud of. And looking out at the uh, the incumbent space, you know, I I think we're all kind of quietly confident that we're that we're building something that we're super proud of that's adding a lot of value to the people out there. And you know, it's what's it been now, guys, like six months or something? It's all it's all sort of coming together. And I think the drive we have is going to sort of pull through, you know. So I'm I'm pretty excited to be on this journey. And I mean, it's already looking so different to what we thought it would look like before, to what we look thought it'd look like, you know, within that first month. So I'm sure in six months and in a year it's going to be pretty bloody different to how we see it now. But I think we're on a on a good track. I think we've got to we'll I'll, be- I'll flick the sponsorship proposal over. Uh, that if you can forward that on to Zalanders, if you want, Jug, <laughs> just while while we're talking there. Gene, I know you're going to listen to this at some point, so um, I have no heartburn if you sponsor these guys. <laughs> <laughs> you got a bit of skin in the game, don't you, Jug? I am on the board of Zalanders now, but I, that just happened organically. Oh, we got one and, vote. Uh, we got one vote in our favor. Beautiful. <laughs> Well, I don't want to make this as the Landis podcast, but that's not really the end of the pond you're in right now. When you talk, you talk mostly about hard rock and in, in WA, but w- with respect to lithium anyway. But Zelandas are the bride field leaders. That's Z E L A N D dot com. Oh, Billy got that memorized. That's Z E L. Seamless job. Well done. Oh, <laughs> I've got a friend in New Zealand who sent sent me a recording of his kid mocking me doing that, which the kid's like, I think he was 10 at the time, and it was it was brilliant. <laughs> Joe, I reckon you can go head-to-head with Maddie and say you can do the best bloody ad. <laughs> Zalandes offers technology and services that support both direct lithium extraction and conventional evaporation ponds. Minimize the environmental impact of your lithium site through Zalanda's data-driven insights and tailored solutions for each extraction method. Go to zalandas.com for more information. That's Z-E-L-A-N-D-E-Z.com. Let's talk a little bit about the recent goings-on in WA. I have asked a question on Twitter about what people think Gina's intentions are and is she just a lithium dabbler or is it something more organized? What do you think was going on with the Lion Town thing? And then let's we'll we'll get that answer and then we'll broaden it out to some of the other things that are going on right now. Cause there's a lot happening. You I mean you what you talk about four or five lithium companies this morning or yesterday on what I listened to this morning. Yeah, we're becoming a bloody lithium podcast. That's where all the news is. But um. Yeah, we're pissing off the gold managing directors. They get a, they get a, they get a bit sooky. They're like, oh, it's a, just a battery metals podcast. And, yeah, anyway, we'll, they will live. We talked about it all. Um, to your point on Gina, I can kick off there and, and the boys will add a bit of colour. I think we've been pretty um, – yeah, pretty vocal in our position on what we think her intentions are. You know, we speculate that uh, yeah, Gina's looking to be you know a, a force in the emergence of Western Australia's hard rock lithium um, province, and you know that is culminated in her basically buying a blocking stake in Lion Town. You know, we think that everything that she wanted to happen has happened. People have kind of you know called her a baggy as if she's um, bought shares at $3 and now it's then, then they do a capital raise at $1.80 as if um, you know she's bought high and now it's gone lower. I think that's a short-sighted view and the reality is that um, you know her stake successfully resulted in Albemarle withdrawing their offer because um, completing a scheme becomes literally implausible um, as a result of her 20% position. And, and in that context, Liontown is now unencumbered. She's the major shareholder. She gets to sit patiently while Kathleen Valley goes through, um, finalises construction, goes through ramp up. And, um, and, and only after that risk is sort of off the table and there's um, sustainable production levels, et cetera, does she really even need to 
um, put in a bid for a, a full change of control. What that ultimate vehicle will look like, I think, is you know still yet to be determined. And the other line of you know questioning that we've often put forward on our show is that we can see some alignment between Gina and Mineral Resources, Minres Chris Allison's um, company, and and Hancock. So. I think the ultimate vehicle we talk about a, a potential JV. I don't know what it's going to look like in the long run, but that's the line of questioning we've run with on our podcast. And, and if you look at, you have to think of it in terms of Albemarle are dealing. We're dealing with Gina. It's not like dealing with another another company. So they they put in this. Remember, the undisturbed price was around a dollar fifty at Lion Town, $1.50 to $1.80. Then it's it's shot up to $3 purely as a function of multiple Albemarle build, bids. A lot of them were behind closed doors that weren't disclosed to the market at the time. Now, if G- Gina's come in to buy this 20%, Albemarle can't just up the bid to $4 and get away with it. G- Gina had at the start of the year, based on one announcement, around $15 billion in cash. It was seven, $17 billion Se- as, 17. Of, as of 30 June 2022. Seven, eight, so yeah. over, over a year ago, that'll be high now. With uh, She's just, yeah, that's Hancock's cash and cash equivalents. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. she can't she can't be bought. Like, she cannot be bought. So um, it's it, absolute what, – what she's paid for this 20% stake – to, to gain this control is it's is peanuts in in terms of her net wealth so look and as Trav said she's obviously got a she's got a big plan to get stuck right into lithium she's got shareholders in numerous other smaller players like she recently went in a raise with future battery minerals she was early on with legacy on which is next to Mount Ida um, which is Delta lithium which min res are obviously yeah. in and we're yeah, there's still that belief. There's this self-fulfilling prophecy that something is going to be spun out between Gina Reinhardt and Min Rez's uh, big dog Chris Ellison, and because if you look at Min Rez's JVs, they've had what? So they've got Albemarle at Wajina and Kemerton, which obviously the Kemerton one they're out of now. They've got Ganfen at Mount Marion. If Minres ties up with Gina in some sort of Australian lithium super K, like they don't, they won't. I don't see them needing to do JVs with any of the big four lithium companies anymore because Gina's got this absolute war chest of of cash that she can now use to fund everything, and Minres won't have to go to look to mobs like Albemarle and Ganfen for the capital anymore. Well, beating. Albemarle is a little bit like clubbing a baby seal, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> Chris Ellison's done it multiple times. Now Gina does it. If you were talking about SQM, that's a whole different kettle of fish. If you look at the best assets in WA, it's not going to be that easy for the Ellison, Gina. I don't know. We get, you got to come up with a good – is there a good name for them, like – <laughs> is with Tra- oh. Travis Kelsey and uh, what's her name or or oh, I'm, um, I'm good at all. Oh, you've got me thinking now, Joe. I'll get one to you by the end of the. Uh... No, I just Chris, um, Christina. I, th- I think Christina. I think it's Chris. Christina. Chris, Christina. Chris, yeah, Christina. I like it. That that works actually. Okay, so we we've got good the work, name Trav. down. Let's just look at the their possibilities. So, okay. They say they take lion town and he's got part of Wojen, he's got part, part of Mount Marion, but neither one of those assets have been operated in a world-class way, as far as I'm concerned. And if you want to talk about the future of battery metals in Western Australia, do you really want two miners leading that charge or do you want some people with some chemical savvy doing it? But, but how does, how do you, Having like your Albemarle and your Ganfen on board, how what's the what's the benefit in terms of the upstream processing? We know that the con coming out of Mount Marion is you know three point eight to four percent. So there's obviously some mineralogy issues and some the absence of sounds like they haven't been able to get their flotation to work properly. Where where does the benefit of Albemarle and Ganfen come in to for for the actual concentrate? Well, let's let's talk about Gangfen first. I thought it was a brilliant stroke to have Gangfen as the partner, but I credit Chris Reed with that, not Chris Ellison. Gangfen are the best processors of low quality material in the world. 
bar none. I've been watching them do it for a quarter of a century, and they can take all sorts of lower quality stuff and turn it into battery quality material. Albemarle does not have that skill. People could talk all they want to about Albemarle, but Albemarle was a mediocre hydroxide producer. They had to buy a Chinese company to even become a Tesla supplier. So let's not give Albemarle too much credit downstream. Gangfen did have the skills built over 20 years of not having their own asset. Mount Marion was their first real uh, asset with any volume. And then Ellison was able to, if, if he'd had another partner, they would have never been able to turn that stuff into lithium chemicals. Could have turned it into a low grade. So Gangfen was a genius partner for Mount Marion. With Albemarle and the, the back and forth he's done, what he paid for Wojan and what he sell it to Albemarle for. I mean, that was a genius move too. I mean, I, I'm, I've i always been very complimentary of Chris Ellison's business savvy, but I just don't see him as a world-class lithium operator. And you can say, well, we'll just figure it out later. But a lot of people have been trying to figure it out later and haven't done a very good job of it. So I roll my eyes at the Chris Gina dominates the future of WA lithium, but then again, I'm just an old guy with an opinion, and I could be wrong. So, yep. who, who do you reckon out of those big four, Joe, or even any other Swedes? Like, who do you think's the best um, partner to have on board to actually get the most out of the upstream side? Not, 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 I guess the downstream, but uh, I guess to maximise the value that comes out of the upstream, which is what. Australia is sort of venturing towards see, being. See how naturally Maddie sw- swaps into the interviewer mode, mate. Yeah, he's yeah, like, yeah. he's like, I'm, I'm the interviewer. <laughs> you're the guest. No, I might, I might, I might, learn, I might learn something. Here. No, I think that if you look at geopolitics that ha- that have changed significantly in the last three or four years, I think it becomes increasing. I think you have to make a call about whether you're going to court the. EU, North America, emerging battery space. And that's what I would do if I was those guys. And I think that's where Ellison's going with it. And I think it's he'll have more time to figure it out if he does that too, because you're not going to have Team China that you compete with, and you're not going to have Team China with the skill set to actually turn what he produces in WA into world-class lithium chemicals. But I think it it buys time. And uh, we'll get into that price bifurcation thing in a minute. But I, I don't think there's any one of them. I don't think SQM is worlds better than Abelmarl. You got to remember that when these guys got into the business, the battery business didn't exist. Mm. And they their original plant designs were to make a, a basic grade chemical that, that didn't have to have uh, the purity that you need now. It's been a learning curve, but the, the Chinese have just, Gangfen just has done a, a better job at that. But Gangfen's got their own set of troubles. They don't have enough raw material. It's going to be a tough slog because look at who they've partnered with. Chris keeps giving them low-grade stuff. And, and we talked about this when I was on your podcast, which it seems like I am on your podcast yet again. But um, <laughs> To your point on so, Sergio, I, I think the, um, the other piece of it, so instead of I, th- I think you can see from Minres selling down like their Kemerton stake that there's a bit yep. of a, a read through there that you know the that Chris has um, has deduced that the downstream potentially in the long run playing in the downstream game might be a, just a low margin business and the world won't be um, short of downstream facilities and downstream expertise in the long run. There might be um, short term times where that's not the case, but in the long run. I think he's taken the view where are you going to have sustainable moat is kind of hoarding the rocks. And, and when you look at all of these minority stakes that Minres have all across WA, that's, in my view, hoarding the rocks. You're preventing someone else from actually coming in and potentially even developing those projects because they've got effectively a blocking stake. No, fair enough. I, I'm not... I think Chris Ellison's a really smart guy. I just think he got he got a little bit ahead of himself. And like he says, we just make it up as we go along, which I, I think <laughs> is not exactly how he's looking at it. But um, I, I think you, if I were you and you got a mining engineer and a financial guy and 
I'm not I'm not sure what the other skill set the three of you have is, but I, I know it's there. Finance, I, I finance, think, finance, mining. <laughs> no, and I think if you take a deep look at that and look at the next 10 years, being able to uh, having access to raw materials is important. Obviously, the, you know, as Allison likes to say, the guy with the rock wins. But if you can't turn it into a uh, a battery quality chemical, somebody else has to do that. And that's going to come out of your margin, ultimately, if it has to be sold to somebody else to actually do the last mile. And I, I'm not convinced that the last mile guy is not going to actually have the highest margins. Yeah, no, for a for a time, for a time. Yeah, I don't, I don't think you know Aussies. We like to you know you know what Aussies are like. Like to keep yeah. it simple. I I just see people like Gina and Chris keeping it simple and be like, we are going we are going to blow up rock. We are going to produce a concentrate, and we are going to give it to someone else. And that that's a viable. I mean, they they could have a great business doing that. It's just they're not going to be. They're going to. They're going to be a a big niche, but a niche player. They're yeah. not. They're not going to be a, a, a dominant uh, player in the industry. In my in my mind, and I don't. I don't know that she cares. <laughs> no, I don't. And I, I don't think either either of them care. It's similar to. Yeah. It's similar to iron ore. Um, you know, iron ore's just crushed screen ship overseas, um, and that's what. That's what Australians are good at, like all the, um, you know, downstream metal, pro- like downstream steel processing in Australia is all but gone. Um, we're just a massive exporter of iron ore. I, d- I just think lithium lithium as a chemical, not a commodity, Joe, uh, will... Well, it can be. There's commodity chemicals. <laughs> yeah. That's, uh, I think uh, not, I see yeah, it going down a similar That's where road. we can all do kumbaya. There are commodity <laughs> chemicals. Yeah. <laughs> Let's take another step back and look at the the Aussies that are in brine or the Aussie that's in brine. If you look at Alchem and they have struggled to make battery quality. And there there are a lot of the people that are up in the Puna of Argentina now who don't even want to try to make battery quality. They want to make bunk grade carbonate and have somebody else sort out how to turn it into battery quality. And at the end of the day, somebody's got to do that. And uh, so, yeah, I think I think you're seeing the whole world wanting to take the the easiest path because the last part of the the exercise is the hard part, getting it to where you can put it into a battery. Joe, I think there's uh, I think there's interesting analogies looking looking at how the uh, lithium markets come on the last five or so years to what we saw in WA twenty or twenty five years ago with nickel so there's all these laterite projects and twiggy was one of the guys leading anaconda nickel at the time trying to bring about this new technology which is you know commonplace now hpow and you see it in all the uh the nickel deposits in all throughout indonesia and across the world really being used but it you know it it bankrupted a bunch of companies it took a lot of time to fine-tune the technology and I think what we saw over the last five years was perhaps a, a race, you know, acknowledging that there was potential margin and value to be grabbed from going downstream. Hence, we saw everything happen in, in Quinana and around WA, all these companies racing to go downstream, even though they perhaps, you know, weren't as up to speed technically with how it was all going to work. And like in Nickel, it, it cooled a few people. It's been pretty tough for, you'd say, probably most of the uh the lithium market. I think IGO produced 900 tons the other quarter out of uh, they're supposed to be running at just about nameplate 24,000 tons per annum. So it's you know these these new sort of fields, these new technologies take a while to fine tune, and maybe they are the. Uh, I'm not saying whether downstream is where the value is going to be captured over the long run or not, but just getting up to speed with how those technical processes work. When you don't have the sort of IP within the company or within the state, may just take a bit of a while. And I think if you yeah, look at you look at the age of those our facilities in Australia, um, look those look the first two trains at Kemerton, what they began operations in mid twenty twenty two. They were look they were initially targeting twenty twenty one. Tianchi and IGO's Konana hydroxide plant that 
first started in May 2022. So both operations are only look a year and a year and a bit old. And you look at God, you look at Pilbara, Pilgangora took 18 months to get their upstream uh, concentrator tweaked and sort of running at a at a steady state. So the the downstream in Australia is just still still so young. I think, I suppose, yeah. everywhere in lithium is pretty young. Queen, a, Queen, Queen Anna was supposed to be operating in 2019, though. I mean, let's to be to be fair. If you go back and watch that original YouTube video, which they may have gotten smart and taken it down now, they're very late. And the other point about that is people viewed Tanchi as a Chinese company that knew what they were doing, but Tanchi was kind of like the Albemarle of China in terms of not being a good hydroxide producer out of the gate. The company that Albemarle bought, Jiangxi Jiangli, which used to be called Nika, they were the best. And Gangfen was a fast follower. So, I mean, the the other part of that is the Western and the Chinese guys that were trying to make downstream chemicals in Australia weren't weren't the cream of the crop. So I think that that further complicated the situation. And I think you've talked about it on your show that – it's 3x the capital to do in WA what you can do in China. So, and 3x the wages, or oh, probably 100, it, well, probably 10x the it, wages. Even when you do that, you don't necessarily succeed mm. because it, there really isn't a good excuse for Kemerton. What do you, what do you say? What was your acronym? OJT on the job training? Yeah, yeah. on the job training. Yeah, I got I got criticized for saying that. I was a smart ass American. One of the comments <laughs> on your, you know. Any, anyway, no, I, I honestly it sounds like a reversal. But if if Ellison and Gina get together and they just said, "Hey, we're just going to dominate the rock side of this," God bless them, they'll do fine. It's just that when people act like that's going to be the Australian Battery Metals Consortium, I don't buy that. It, but it doesn't need to be either. Well, I think, and I think one one player we sort of didn't allude to, or you, we did briefly, was SQM. Now all this is happening; it's all ramping up at the moment. I don't think it's coincidence that all these news news articles and offers are all coming at the at the same time because we've got Azure in a trading halt uh, for a change of control, and we can only assume it is SQM. Um, but they are obviously trying to get in right now as well while you got then this is all happening at the same time that Jean is taking her stake in in line town so and Albemarle have just dropped out of that race you would assume for eternity possibly the time being so um yeah because that that azure the Andover deposit that's a pretty compared to Kathleen Valley like nice and close to a port close to surface probably a Big, massive, simple open pit. It's like the pretty simple. It's you could see it as being like the Patriot of Australia, but in Australia. Um, so there's yeah, there's definitely a SQM's trying to and then SQM went into another, got some more ground yesterday as well with pyrolithium in that that Pilbara yeah. region. So that that Pilbara lithium region is really heating up, and I'm sure that uh, Minres would have liked to get their hands on on more of that. But SQM are. Uh, Definitely got the stranglehold on that Andover project. Well, we've also ignored West Farmers. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you guys, if you had anybody from West Farmers on your No, nah, they, they, they sort of, I guess they fly because there's such a conglomerate of a, of a business. I guess we, they'd probably get forgotten about because they're, everyone knows them for supermarkets and, and things like that. But they're with, obviously got Mount Holland with SQM and they don't look naturally whether or unnaturally we don't we don't even they don't get much of a mention I to be honest I could not tell you one stat about the production or Mount anything about the Mount Holland operation because we haven't really covered it it's probably something we um we need to dig into a bit I think well I think they're deliberately flying flying under the radar because things haven't gone so smoothly just like every other player they've had cost blowouts and everything at, at mount holland and you know quinana where they're trying to go downstream themselves so i think it's been a deliberate strategy to sort of sweep it under the rug for now until they've got something you know new and shiny and working to point to this episode is also brought to you by mississippi lime if you're wondering why we're talking about 
fruit on the Global Lithium Podcast. You should check them out at lime4lithium.com. That's L-I-M-E, the number four, L-I-T-H-I-U-M dot com. If you're attending Benchmark Week in L.A. in November, they will also be there. Here's one for you, Maddie. Oh, yeah. What if what if SQM buy Azua on like you know, on a complete basis, and it's and West, West Farmers buy Mark Creasy's? Yeah, Creasy's God, we should have put that in the episode yesterday. <laughs> yeah, that would make that would make sense. God, yeah, we need to go edit that. Joe, one. have you got any have you got any word on the decline on Matt Holland? Well, I met with West Farmers guys after the day I was you recorded me and. Yeah, I think they are. I think you hit it right on the head. They just want to suffer in silence <laughs> and not talk about their capital numbers and not talk about uh, anything else until they're operational. But West Farmers does have a chemicals business. And yep. I can remember having a meeting with them in Tokyo in 2019. And they were really, at that time, I thought overconfident. Three, how hard can it be? Blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, <laughs> you'll find out. And, um, you know, I think that's happening. West Farmers does have a, I believe, a big balance sheet. You're the finance guys. You, you, you know, you tell me. But I always thought that West Farmers' ego, when combined with SQM's ego, was going to be a huge problem, too, because... SQM's never been a, a partnering type of organization, and they're on Aussie ground. So I, I really find it interesting that they're being as aggressive as they are in hard rock. But when you look at their situation in Chile, it makes perfect sense. With with um, West Farmers, another point there is you've seen them completely sort of absent from the perspective of um, picking up other projects or investing minority stakes in other players in the way that other you know, incumbents have, have been more um, aggressive from a strategy. And I think the important thing to remember about West Farmers is they're all incentivized. Everyone throughout West Farmers are incentivized based on a return on capital metric. And um, and so like mining is, is something they've dabbled in in the past, but it's a, it's a trickier thing to um, be like so sure when you, when you pitch an acquisition internally, because you're trying to, you're trying to, you, you, all of it, everyone's bonuses are all kind of tied to these like return on capital metric metrics, and and so much of that is so volatile to whatever your long term price assumptions are. So I think f- for them to get comfortable doing any of the any of the funky stuff we've seen others do, um, like it's just a harder thing to get through. Hence, they've been absent in a lot of the discussions that we've had lately. That is a great point. I would like to tease out a little more because when you talk about how the top guys that that didn't start these companies, the professional manager class that runs a lot of these organizations like an Albemarle, they make so many decisions based on how it affects their long-term incentive versus how it performs for the shareholders. And in these companies, you know, you can read all the proxy statements, 10Ks, 10Qs, whatever. Generally speaking, I have seen really bad decisions made just based on the short-term incentives of the top management of some of these companies. And of course that probably never happens in Australia, but <laughs> it's, a- um, <laughs> it's an American way of life. It's a conversation we have all the time, Joe. Um, we're, we're, we're a common theme in our podcast is alignment of incentives. And, um, and I think we're, we're frequently critical of the way incentives might be structured in a way that actually doesn't truly align the interests of shareholders and um, and management. It's just an unfortunate reality of of uh, yeah the, the corporate class. There's a company we've spoken about as well, Minres, and it's going to be it's going to be fascinating how that one plays out. You know, Chris Ellison's been been leading the the charge for. A long, long time. It's a, a founder-led business, obviously, and he owns, geez, off the top of my head, 15% or so of 11, the company. 11.4%. Ha- 11. There you go. So how they go about replacing Mr. Ellison at the helm there with someone who's equally motivated. And I think there's there's a few theories on who that might be. We've sort of beaten around the bush in the past about who that might be. But how you get that person adequately incentivized is going to be a you know fascinating story to see play out. 
beating around the bush was a great choice of words for an Aussie to talk about corporate gridlock. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, you know, usually Maddie gets the kudos for all the cool phraseology, but you just you just gently come in there and drop the beating around the bush. It was brilliant. It's uh, Joe, you get you get to sit next to Maddie for six months. <laughs> 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 you sit next to Maddie in the hot seat for six months, and you you pick up a thing or two. I've bargain, well, bargainized I, him. When I was sitting up in the boardroom slash bar when you were interviewing me, it was like. I wasn't sure whether you guys were all just wolves in different clothes or what, because, you know, you like on July 12th, you tweeted, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and I'm like, really? <laughs> I don't remember what I tweeted yesterday. <laughs> you expect me to remember. <laughs> and, but you were, you were so serious. And I'm thinking, you know, this guy next to me, he's half in the bag and he's just waving his arms and you're, Looking at me like you're doing the six o'clock news, saying <laughs> your tweet said whatever. We're the beer, um, we're the beer in front of us too, so that probably uh, <laughs> that was a unique experience. No, that's why you guys are as good as you are, is because of the diversity and the different um, different personalities. I would like you to take Myers Briggs and, <laughs> and, and overlay. It, it, that would that would be kind of interesting. All right, I want to talk about what I will call the Aussie diaspora. You got all these guys with experience going to Canada and trying to make their way in the 51st state. What do you make of that? Are there no more opportunities? Why are there so many guys with spodumene skill sets making their way to Canada? I'm sure we can get into a lot more detail, but I think first and foremost, it starts with the exact point that we were just speaking about, money. There's a... a <laughs> Simple answer. In, in, <laughs> that's why you're so good. Yeah. We're, we're all capitalists here, and that's that's why the people are going over. They're seeing a, a divergence in valuations, whether that's, you know, more advanced explorers or more, you know, underexplored opportunities or whatever it is, you know, across the across the range of, you know, minor developer exploration type of companies and they're seeing attractive opportunities whether you're you ken brinson going to pmet seeing a, a good opportunity at a at a valuation for a business that's perhaps below i think you can you can go one step further with the, the case of patriot and they even went as far as listing in australia to sort of attract that capital and get the, the valuation to a level that they would see on par with the uh asx peers so you know, we've, uh, I think we spoke about prior, but Ken Brisbane's is one of many, many examples of Aussies companies and Aussie individuals that have gone over there. And it's all to do with seeing an opportunity in, in making a buck. I think that opportunity was, was, um, you know, greatest at the time when you saw the bulk of the, the, these people with Spodumene experience all go over. Like you haven't actually seen too many people do it in the last year because the relative valuations have somewhat, um, you know, moderated, but, but if you rewind back through 2021 and 2022, I think that's when you saw a lot of people with, you know, spodumene expertise go place themselves in these companies that had projects in Canada. And of course, you know, capital and, um, and stock incentives would follow them, but you want to make that move before you see some moderation in the relative valuations between the two jurisdictions for maximum return. But to be clear, I'll ask the miner in the group, if you look at you take Corvette out of it, maybe, but the rest of the projects you're looking at in Quebec and Ontario are relatively mediocre from a compare them with the, the next class in WA. There isn't really that much difference in my mind. So it's not like they've departed Australia because the assets are better in Canada. I guess it's just the incentives and now. Uh, the hype around the IRA and, and all that, but you can get IRA benefits in WA too. So I guess I'd just like to not prejudice your answer by saying anything more, but just hear you wax eloquent on I the am, next. I am Mr. Eloquent, Joe. But possibly, <laughs> uh, and you go back to that period as well, like a fight for ground, like, Everyone, it was a it was a thematic that if you had lithium in your portfolio, like 
bang, there's a it's nearly a it was nearly a rewrite. So a lot of these companies, you know, they're fighting over fighting over getting ground or getting the exposure in Australia. It's like why not go to North America as well? And that's the that's the new found. As you said, it does whether these projects even get developed or not um, is sort of a, irrelevant in getting the story going at the start. It could be decades before these projects actually produce a piece of um, a piece of spodumene rock. But the a lot of these small cap companies, sub hundred mil market cap, are like, no, nah, we've got ground in Canada. We are now an explorer. We're looking for money. Give it to us. As a general rule, too, I'm always a little bit. Um a little bit like sceptical when the Canadians are happily selling moose pasture en masse to the uh, ignorant Australians. You know, I always <laughs> think the Canadians have a leg up knowing their ground better than we do. So. <laughs> uh, I, uh, yeah, that that's probably giving 80 more IQ points to that crew. <laughs> <laughs> it, it does sound like a plausible argument, but the Canadians just have done an abysmal job uh, so far with lithium for their own account. And so I, I really look at it, the Aussies going over as adult supervision, but uh, we'll, we'll know in five or six years what happens. <laughs> I, think, well, I think we've had it and we've had a good in our little short time in this industry and, and, and prior in this, in this stock market industry, this, these stories are, they're, they're a form of employment, really. The IPO, these companies, you get a bit of ground somewhere. The managing directors get paid two or 300 grand a year to go around to every conference and present these stories. And then they do a capital raise. And it's just a whole circular business. A majority of these companies will either go to nothing or never get developed. There's not, there's not many of them that will actually produce a profitable rock one day. It's what we call money mining. Money, it's just it's just a big they call it the hot air of West Perth. <laughs> <laughs> but that's it's just a, it's an industry in itself. And you look at and you know, JD pointed out to me the other day like what these a lot of these managing directors get and CEOs get paid um, for is such a so is a lot of money compared to what say like a tech startup in America get paid on when they got full skin in the game it's um yeah it's just a it's an economy in itself this small cap mining industry let me ask one last Albemarle question do you think they they continue to just get stymied and have to go elsewhere for raw material if you look at what's going on right now you got most of the assets that can be in production in the next few years tied up so well because patriot patriots like you know they got their uh what is it five percent stake i think they put into that like that's you know that could be oh they got a 12 month uh, standstill they can't buy any more shares as yeah well. so that and that could yeah. be that could be a, a decade away like that's going to be obviously massive but well, for first production it could it could be up to 10 years away. So, yeah, you're right in saying, like, where are they going to get it? Liontown was the closest. Kathleen Valley, like, you know, possibly a year away to start getting raw material. SQM have now um, – look, Azua, Azua don't even have a mineral resource yet. Like, and, and SQM are, are taking it. Um, and you've got MinRes – Talking about buying, Maddie. They've got a target. It doesn't matter. They've got an expiration target. So let's just <laughs> well, call it a resource. <laughs> isn't isn't Azura's market cap over a billion Aussie now? Oh yeah, yeah, and that's for sixty percent of the project. So like, yeah. what what? Well, okay. So I have a follow up question. So now you've got Albemarle, who was chasing Liontown at over four, and after the Lithium America split, lack the the LAC part of that. Their shares have been hit so hard; they're right at a billion right now. <laughs> yeah, well, you got to You got to wonder. Let me just check it. What? Lithium America's caught nine hundred twenty million market cap. Lithium America's market cap's one point oh four eight billion. The LAAC, which is the Argentina, is just yeah. under is just under a billion. And it would be it would be probably it would it would probably wouldn't even be problematic Albemarle could buy either one of those guys because as far as I know they're not a they're not an entity of concern yeah they they, they might just keep um 
progressing the expansions of green bushes to get supply. Like that's um that's where they got their got their stranglehold. But non operator. Yeah, non operator, but no, that, that is they the don't supply. they don't yeah. They don't operate it and they they need more than that. The, the problem they have now is with the government money they're getting to build a very large converter not too far from where I'm sitting in South Carolina. If they restart the old King's Mountain mine, that'll only do about half of that. So if you do the math on what green bushes can do and what their share of that is, and you fill Kemerton out, you still got problems with their other assets, both in China and what they're going to build in the States. They're, they're going to be raw material poor very, very soon. We recorded for about two hours. So I had to break this up into a part one in a part two, you're going to want to listen to part two. You find out how each of these gentlemen would invest $5 million in ASX stocks. And of course, there's rapid fire. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>